Welcome to the Find Your Best Future podcast. This is the podcast that helps international families make great decisions when it comes to choosing university courses. So we're very happy today to welcome Susan Allen, the Associate Director of International Student Initiative from the University of British Columbia on Agwan campus. Um, Susan, perhaps you'd like to introduce yourself and say a little bit about your university. Great. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Um, as you said, I work with the University of British Columbia in a unit called the International Student Initiative. I've been with the university for about 13 years, working with prospective international undergraduate students. Uh, but I've been working internationally with students for 23 years. UBC is my third institution. Uh, I myself was an international student, albeit a very long time ago, at high school in France. Uh, I'm from the Okanagan region, which is where one of our campuses is located, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you more about that campus. Uh, The University of UBC is one of the top 40 research universities in the world, and we are uh, one of the top two in Canada. It is the most internationally... um, international university in North America, when you think about the student body that's represented, we have over 160 countries. And we do have our two campuses. Uh, Some folks may be familiar with the Vancouver campus. It has 60,000 students and uh, is in the third largest city in Canada. And we also have our Okanagan campus, which is in the city of Kelowna. It's the largest city in the interior of the province. It's about a four and a half hour drive away from Vancouver. And that campus has 12,000 students from 115 different countries. Now, Susan, you you mentioned that uh, your your university is in the province of British Columbia, which uh, is the westernmost province of Canada. Could you maybe say a little bit more about about the the location of your university and and its surroundings? Uh, Absolutely. So as you said, the west coast of Canada, we have our two locations. One is in Vancouver, which is right on the Pacific Ocean. Uh, And the population of Vancouver is probably about 2 million million people now. Um, It is our larger campus community out on the peninsula in Vancouver, surrounded by acres and acres of forest Um, an absolutely stunning location. And as I mentioned, about a four and a half hour drive inland into the province, we have our Okanagan campus. Uh, That campus opened in 2005 and it has been growing and developing ever since. Uh, Both campuses represent uh, the research intensive nature of the institution. There's a a wide breadth of programming uh, available at both campuses in terms of academic programming, but also those those value-added experiences that students um, have as part of their academics. Now, of course, uh, with a lot of listeners coming from different parts of the world, they're going to be curious about the transport connections, like how do you actually get to the Okanagan campus? Uh, and that's a great question. It's it's quite accessible. We actually have the Kelowna Airport, which is right across the highway from the campus. Uh, so it's literally about a five minute drive. And once you're you're there and living in the city in terms of transportation, uh, some people drive to campus and we have seven bus routes that service the city and the surrounding municipalities that all lead to campus. Uh, and there's actually a lot of, of driving and cycling that takes place. Uh, and you might know this because you have visited, but 
the Okanagan Valley in Kelowna is one of the top tourist destinations in Canada. So it has those four distinct seasons. The summer is quite warm. It can be 35 or 38 degrees Celsius. Uh, and the winter, it's mild and it can get a little cold anywhere from zero to minus 15 degrees. Um, but we find that it really has that outdoor recreation lifestyle. There's 3,000 kilometers of beaches. There's 20 lakes. There's hundreds of trails, kilometers of trails for hiking and biking, all sorts of regional parks. Uh, and actually the second largest ski resort in the province behind Whistler is located in Kona, a big white ski resort. Um, I'm glad you, um, you mentioned the, the weather because uh, foreigners tend to uh, associate very cold when they hear the word Canada in the wintertime. And many of our listeners are coming from, uh, well, warmer climates, shall we say. Would you recommend them to uh, buy their winter clothing when they arrive in Canada? I would, absolutely. I mean, if they certainly want to, to bring some things and, and pack them, they can. But we know that the students are, I mean, they're coming here not just for a visit, they're, they're moving here and it's going to be their lives that are for the next little while. So I think they can leave those bigger, bulky items at home uh, and then purchase those when they arrive. There's all sorts of, of facilities and, and stores and whatnot that, that will avail students to do that. And we when people first arrive in Canada on campus, we have all sorts of transition support services too that will, will help them in setting up banking, knowing where to shop for some of those, those items will certainly be a part of that. Yeah, I've been winter clothing shopping in Canada actually because it's the best. Um, <laughs> because Canadians obviously know how to protect themselves from extremely low temperatures. Okay, um, moving along a little bit, um, I assume that uh, UBC is a public government owned university. You assume correctly, yes. So it's a provincially um, run public university, yes. Okay, and I think probably what's really going to interest our listeners is um, hearing about the facilities, you know, the typical teaching spaces you have, the libraries, the study areas, the sports and exercise facilities, the arts, all of those sort of things. Perhaps you could just give us a, a rundown on what uh, the Okanagan campus or UBC generally has uh, in that respect. Absolutely. In the Okanagan, uh, there's all different types of facilities. We have 54 what we call general use classrooms, which uh, some of them, the capacity ranges from about 100 to 150 students. We have one four-person lecture theater and a couple of classrooms that will house or, or facilitate two to 300 students. Um, they all come with either a blend of traditional theater style classrooms, and we also have what we call active learning classrooms. So those have various levels of technology uh, put into those, those classrooms for presentation and, and collaboration opportunities, teaching labs for technical learning for our students, and uh, many of them have movable furniture so you can do different breakout and, and group work. Uh, study spaces, certainly we have the library on campus and we have a lot of what we call informal learning spaces for group and individual study. A couple of years ago, we built a whole building for students just for study purposes. It's called the Commons Building. It has that 400 person classroom in it, but all the other space is for individual and group studying. So a lot of other campuses will repurpose old stack space from the libraries, but we actually built a whole brand new building for our students for studying. I mean, you, you mentioned that uh, the city of Kelowna, where your university is located, is, is in a, an amazing sort of geographical location with the lake and the mountains and skiing. 
Um, I assume that uh, you also have some excellent sports facilities actually on the campus for, for students to use. We do. We have our gym facility, the Hangar Fitness and Wellness Center, and it's got you know, the cardio, the weight facilities. Uh, there's three fitness studios with about 20 fitness classes each week. We have the gym itself, which has three basketball courts, or it's converted to four volleyball courts. Then known as sports field where students, where certainly the varsity soccer takes place and, and students can rent the field and play soccer. There's two beach volleyball courts on campus and a multi-sport ball hockey court. And we also have a program at the university that's called um, UBC Cycles, where we will rent bicycles to students uh, for them to use to come in across campus or to come and go from campus. And there's also a bike storage facility on campus too. Uh, and um, speaking of those trails I mentioned, we have about five kilometers of outdoor hiking trails on campus as well. Now, apart from sports, uh, many students like to be involved in, in the arts, you know, things like theatre and music, that type of thing. Um, what do you offer to those students? Um, so we do on campus from a facilities perspective have a theatre on campus and we also have an art gallery. More formally, we have two programs that are sort of art-based, if you will, through our Faculty of Creative and Critical Studies. We have the Bachelor of Fine Arts, where students can study in their, their chosen media, but they get a foundational uh, prep work in all sorts of media, like painting, sculpting, video, uh, printmaking. And then we also have our Bachelor of Media Studies program, which is what we call a computational arts program. So it, it combines computer science, design, and a bit of engineering for sort of an augmented computer design um, type of opportunity for students. And that also comes with all sorts of facilities on campus and for students who are in those courses specifically. With all that exercise of the mind and the body, I'd imagine students work up quite an appetite. Um, what about eating opportunities on campus? Because I know this is of critical importance to students. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, so we do have a couple of cafeterias on campus. There is a convenience store. The students can just sort of shop and get a grab and go type of item from. There's a few coffee, shop, coffee shops. Uh, there's a deli, we have a Japanese eating place, an Indian eating place, there's Subway. Uh, and one of our newer spaces is actually a, a third cafeteria that's been repurposed. It's called Picnic. And it's an, a space that's been converted and designed to encourage well-being amongst our students on campus, to improve their food skill preparation needs, should they perhaps have those needs, uh, and to really just be a space to come, enjoy a meal together and build community. So it's, it's not a food service per se, but they do have a few um, low cost and free options, some grab and go breakfast items, but it, it's a space to, to come and learn around food and build community. I know that a lot of students are, are very keen on sort of a healthy lifestyle, healthy diet. Um, do, you, do you encourage students to sort of eat healthily? Do, do you offer things like vegan meals, for example, for, for those who don't wish to eat uh, um, meat? We do. So in our newest um, accommodation building, Pritch, uh, Nichaco, we are we have our dining facility, which is called Pritchard, and it's an all-you-can-eat dining facility. So students um, can purchase a meal plan, and then when they're accessing that space, they're not, it's it's unlimited essentially. So that it, it's not just paying for one meal and that's all you get. You can access the entire the 
place and it's all you can eat, as I said. And there's vegan dining options. We have an app that students can download and all the menu items and all of their ingredients are there so that they can take a look and be careful with what they're choosing if they need to be because of any dietary restrictions. We also have a dietitian on staff on campus that students can meet with uh, to help them with planning or with any concerns that they might have. And I assume that the students uh, just have a swipe card or perhaps they swipe their bank card or phone to, to, to pay for um, their purchases at the cafeterias. That's right. So students who live, uh, most students who live in first year housing are living in dormitories and so they're on a mandatory meal plan and so they do get that card that you mentioned. But anybody on campus, including myself, faculty members, can also, if they choose, purchase a meal plan and then they also would have that card that they can swipe and use at any of the food facilities on campus and we have a few partners in the community as well. Sounds delicious. In fact, it's seven o'clock in the evening here in Vienna and I haven't had my dinner yet. So I think we should stop talking about food before my stomach starts rumbling. Okay, so let's move on and talk about your campuses. Now, you've already mentioned that there are two campuses, one in Vancouver and one in Kelowna, Okanagan campus. Um, which one would you recommend is best for international students? Or is that a really hard question? Um, I think, I mean, both campuses offer a breadth of academics. Uh, so from a, a, a teaching caliber and opportunity perspective, they're quite parallel. It's really more about location and size, I think. Um, so whether you want to be in that bigger campus setting with that larger city tied to it, then the Vancouver campus is probably the place for you. Um, whereas if you want that high caliber research enabled opportunity, but in a smaller setting where you can get to know people, the hierarchy is a little bit more flattened. So you, it's, it, you can build community on both campuses, but it might be just a little bit more accessible more readily in the Okanagan, but that's not to say students on our Vancouver campus don't build community. They, they certainly do, as all students do by getting engaged and getting to know people. So it's really about size and location. Vancouver it has milder winters, of course. Uh, it's not quite as warm in the summer and it, it tends to be a bit more rainy where in the Okanagan, we have those four distinct seasons. So we will have a hot, hot summer, but we will also have a winter with snow on the ground too. I mean, I told you that I've been to visit both campuses and of course I had a look on the internet to see what the temperature was going to be in, in, in Okanagan and in Kelowna. And I was down in Vancouver to start with and it was about sort of 22, 23 degrees, very pleasant. And I think it was about 33 where you are. And I, I was very surprised because uh, the, the hosts at UBC took us college counselors to a vineyard and mm -hmm. I really ne never really associated Canada with wine so I did a bit of research and apparently there's quite a lot uh, in different parts of Canada particularly in your valley so I guess that sort of speaks to the fact that the climate in the summertime is, is quite warm. Um, probably a very important part of any university, uh, probably the most important part are the lecturers and the students. Um, could you tell us a bit about like where your lecturers and professors come from? Are they mainly Canadian or do they come from other countries? Uh, so we have both. We have lecturers um, who 
are Canadian, some of whom attended UBC, some of whom attended other institutions within Canada or other parts of the world, even though they're, they're Canadian. Uh, and we have a lot of international faculty on staff on both campuses as well, right across all of our, our academic programs. Uh, so a lot of international and global experience being brought into our classrooms and into the opportunities through the Canadians who had those experiences themselves um, and then through our international faculty members too. And your students, where do they come from? I assume the majority are Canadians, but sort of roughly what percentage are, are non-Canadians? About, I think it's about 35% of the international student population uh, across the UBC system are international, so studying in Canada on a study permit, and then everybody else would be Canadians or um, permanent residents of the country. That, that's actually a very good mix, I would say, because a lot of universities don't come anywhere close to that sort of mix of, of local people and, and international. Um, does UBC have any sort of formal relationships with other universities? Because a question I often get asked is, can, can we do uh, exchanges with other universities while we are, for example, based in this case at UBC? And this is something which my high school students uh, regularly ask me. So can UBC students go abroad or to other parts of Canada for exchange programs? They can, absolutely. So UBC has about 200 partners in 50 different countries around the world, and those are predominantly for student exchange purposes. There's, there's really three types there. There is sort of the traditional exchange that one might think of, which is you go to a partner university for a term or two, you take some courses there, and then you bring those back to UBC and you continue on with your degree. We can support students and make arrangements if they wanted to do research at a partner institution as well. So not necessarily just pursuing coursework at that institution, but engaging in some active research while they're there or having a term dedicated to active research. And the third opportunity is what uh, is something that we actually began and grew out of the Okanagan, although it's available across both campuses now, is what we call our Global Seminars Program. And so these are UBC teacher-led uh, short courses abroad. They tend to be about three to six weeks. Uh, students will earn three to six credits for those courses. Uh, and they, they usually have a theme. And so that will dictate a little bit what part of the world they go to, whether they're going into somewhere in Europe, to Romania, Mauritius, Tanzania. We've had them go everywhere. Uh, they'll bring in guest lecturers from those locations to the facilities that they might be using with a partner abroad. And it's, it's just such an amazing opportunity for students to engage in a type of exchange um, and really learn from the local setting that you're in, be it on a farm in one of these places, and just goes so much further beyond what a, a tourist experience in one of these areas might be. It sounds uh, very enticing, I think, for any listeners who are thinking of applying to UBC, uh, these the sort of opportunities which uh, would be available to you. Um, rankings. Now, uh, everybody asks about rankings, and I'm sure you're aware, and we've actually done a, a separate podcast episode on this topic. Okay. Um, and I know that UBC is very highly ranked. Um, where should students go and look if they want to see where UBC is ranked, the Canadian rankings? Um, so, I mean, we are ranked second in Canada. We have a, some wonderful institutions uh, in our country. Uh, and so you can certainly just do a search online to see those. 
There are other rankings. There are many global rankings out there. Uh, the Times Higher Ed, Shanghai, a number of others. And they all use a little bit of, of different information and metrics to determine their rankings. So it's, I think, I personally think it's worth taking a look at a few different rankings and doing a little bit of research, understanding what goes into those rankings and also seeing where the institutions that you're interested in uh, might fall in those. And some rankings, of course, will rank the university as a whole, and some of the rankings will also have individual academic areas that they rank too. So that could be of interest to people to take a look at as well, depending on their interests, of course, for their, their future in academics. Um, Susan, could you give us a quick overview of the courses that UBC offer? I know they offer a huge amount. And, and are there any particular courses which are really popular with your international students? Sure, absolutely. So in Canada, we call our courses programs, uh, which are housed within faculties. Uh, on the Okanagan campus, we have a full range of opportunities. So we've got School of Engineering, we've got the Faculty of Management, the Faculty of Creative and Critical Studies, which I spoke about with the arts programs. Uh, we have our health and exercise sciences. We have nursing, which in the last couple of years, uh, so historically nursing hasn't been open to international students, but we did open up our nursing program specifically in the Okanagan to accept international students. Uh, we have our arts and social sciences, and of course, science. We also have a faculty of education and a medical school, although unfortunately the medical school isn't open to international applicants. In terms of, of um, sort of where we see the greater enrollment of international students, certainly in the arts and sciences faculty and followed by engineering and management, the popular majors there include economics, psychology, computer science, and some of our engineering specializations. Um, but we do see international students enroll right across the undergraduate facilities and programs. So from that perspective, nothing sort of sticks out. They're all graduating uh, right across the board with our undergraduate programs with portable and highly recognized degrees. And do your undergraduate programs typically last for four years? They, bachelor programs? they do, yes. So the bachelor programs, and this is true right across Canada, by and large, are four years in length, uh, and then students are graduating with a, a Bachelor in Arts or a Bachelor of Science from our programs or, or whichever program they pursued. Is, is there any particular course or program, I should say, um, which Okanagan campus is particularly famous for or renowned for? Um, we have a few unique offerings. Um, our zoology program is fairly unique right across Canada, actually, and there isn't a comparable program on the Vancouver campus. Another one which we actually borrowed or borrowed, um, modeled off of uh, Oxford University is our PPE program, which is uh, philosophy, political science, and economics. So that's quite unique as well. And we have some that, you know, if you were to look at uh, Vancouver and Okanagan, that are similar programs, but because of the regions where our campuses are located are fairly distinct. So for in Vancouver, for example, you'll have oceanography, which makes sense. It's right there in the Pacific Ocean. Whereas in the Okanagan, we have freshwater sciences. So similar, but with regional distinctions tied to them. 
Now, I was having a little look this afternoon on the UBC website, and you can imagine someone who does my job, we, I look at an awful lot of university websites, and I have to say, you know, a big shout out for the people who designed your website. It's excellent. And it's extremely easy to navigate around, which is more than can be said for some. And while I was on the website, I noticed that you have manufacturing engineering at both campuses. Mm -hmm. Now, and then I wondered about this. Are students able to switch between, for example, do two years in Okanagua and two years in Vancouver? Um, not specifically for this program, but sort of generally speaking, are students able to spend part of their time on one campus and part on the other? Uh, so we do see students uh, move between our campuses. We always encourage students to apply to the campus that they tend on pursuing their studies from. Uh, but we do, as I said, see movement uh, and engineering is a great example of that, where we'll see movement going both ways, depending on the specialization or, or major that students wish to pursue. Um, work experience. This is a question I get asked the whole time. Um, can students go on, on the co-op programs, work experience, internships, and sort of build up their, their resume in that way? Uh, yes, absolutely. So there's, there's a few different opportunities available to students. We have a program called Cooperative Education, which allows students to alternate paid work experiences that are related to their studies with their actual work terms at the university. It tends to elongate their degree by about a year. Some of our programs have built in practicums like nursing and health and exercise sciences. Some of the other programs uh, offer courses that we call capstone courses. So these are courses where students work with uh, external companies or industries on a problem or challenge that they are having and, and come up with solutions for them. So that's available in our management program, engineering, media studies. And moving on to the teaching style, um, do you normally have sort of more traditional lecture-based learning or is it more problem-based learning? Uh, it's a bit of both. So you'll have that more traditional lecture-based style. There's a lot of project work that takes place in our classes too, and a lot of peer-to-peer -peer learning that'll take place. Uh, a lot of styles or a style that we find more and more at the universities, what we call a flipped classroom, where students will be accessing the material for their courses online or through different media prior to coming to class so that they're coming prepared to discuss the information, to ask questions, as opposed to having that uh, information first introduced to them in the classroom uh, and learning it, um, it just being it being brought to them sort of in that moment and then taking it away to learn later. So we're seeing a lot more of that flipped approach in the teaching style as well. I mean, hearing you talk about sort of online uh, brings to mind the fact that some universities uh, during the sort of the COVID lockdown time were offering their programs entirely online. Is it actually possible to study for a degree at UBC, you know, 100% online so you can stay in your own country and access it that way? So at the undergraduate level, no, certainly COVID was the exception to that, where everything moved online. Uh, but by and large, most of our, our courses and programs have moved back, moved back to an in-class format. You may be able to access a course or two here and there online. We offer about 20% of our courses online through in the Okanagan campus, um, but you wouldn't be able to complete an entire degree online, no. 
um, sort of related to the whole teaching style question is assessment. Um, are students uh, assess, you know, continuous assessment or do they have sort of a large end of course or end of program exam? Normally there's multiple assessment points throughout a course that can look like many things, uh, quizzes, midterms, written assignments, research papers, in some courses, many, not all though, will offer that final exam in our exam periods in December and April at each year. And, and the assessments is the assessment of, of coursework is predominantly grades-based at the university. And I have to ask this, what happens if someone fails a course? Do they get the second chance? Can, can they do a, a makeup test or exam? Um, certainly if somebody is struggling, with any of their coursework, they should be they should be talking to their professor and seeing what options there might be available to them. We do have an academic concession policy at the university. So if somebody, you know, for perhaps a medical reason had their studies interrupted in the term, there can be accommodations made for that person. Students can retake courses, however, too, if, you know, unfortunately, a student does fail a course, they can retake a course. The grades of both courses will be on their transcript, so it is a true uh, academic record, and both grades are calculated in their cumulative average at the university as well. Now, when, when you are looking to recruit students and, and you have all these applications coming in, um, I, I guess there are, are certain attributes or a certain profile of student that you're looking for, because you're going to get a lot of students with very good academic grades. But is, is there any one sort of type of student that you're looking for particularly? So you're not wrong. Certainly uh, admission to UBC is competitive. And so we do need applicants with a strong academic profile. But we also consider the experiences that the student has and that they bring with them. So part of our online application, there's a component called the personal profile. And that's where we ask some, some short answer questions that students can tell us about their experiences, challenges that they may have faced, how they overcame them. Uh, contributions that they have made to community, engagement in the community, what they've been involved with and why they've been involved with it. So we're not looking for just a simple list of what I've done, but what did you learn from it? Uh, why, why did you choose these activities to be engaged with in the first place so that we can get to know that person? And that all is, is read at the university and scored. So in addition to their their academic high school information, we do read and score their personal profile information and both of those factor into admission. Yes, earlier on when I was on your website, I noticed this personal profile and you also have a, very, a really good little video which sort of mm -hmm. uh, guides students through this. In fact, I, I made a, a note that I'm going to recommend that my students go and have a look at this, even those who are not applying to UBC, because I think, I think it's really good advice to students who have to prepare some sort of profile or motivation letter or whatever you want to call it. Obviously, different universities, different countries, different names. But I think the process is really the same. So uh, I'm definitely going to uh, flag that up for my students to have a look at. Um, beyond this, of course, we come down to the rather more mundane things like the academic requirements. Obviously, you have minimum academic requirements and uh, that students have to meet if they wish to make a successful application. And because you have students applying from all over the world, I guess you accept a, a wide range of different 
school leaving certificates for want of a better word. We do, absolutely. And you're right, we do have minimum requirements. So certainly high school graduation is one of those. Uh, meeting the English language admission standard, and there's nine different ways to meet that. And those are all spelled out on the website as well. Students need to have the prerequisites for the programs uh, at UBC that they are, are applicants to. Uh, and we do, we're, we're very fortunate, at least I think so at the university, that our admissions team who does all of the evaluation um, has such a breadth of training in different international curricula. So we do have applicants, as you said, from all over the world, from all sorts of curricula like IB or A-levels to national curricula from many different countries. And all of that, again, depending on where you're coming from and your curriculum is on the website, but the, the training uh, and really the solid knowledge base that our admission teams has of all these curricula criteria, I think is, is really impressive. So they're able to work with any curricula from around the world. Uh, you, you mentioned language proficiency or English language proficiency. Um, if a student is studying in an international school where the language of instruction is English, do they still need to provide some sort of uh, um, certificate of proof of proficiency? So a student studying at an international school, as you say, where English is a language of instruction, if they have studied there for four or more years continuously, then no, they don't need like a TOEFL or an IELTS or, or an additional certification of some kind. So um, be, beyond, uh, obviously, a strong academic profile, um, is there anything else that you're looking at during the, the, the admissions process? Really, it is um, the grades that they present us with from high school uh, and their, their responses on the personal profile. We don't need records, uh, letters of recommendation or other materials beyond specifically what the admission uh, team asks for. So once a student applies to the university and submits their application, they'll get a notification with regards to next steps and what specific documents we need and, and when to submit those by. And they can upload those um, electronically to UBC, which is great. So when, when a student applies to UBC, uh, I assume they go onto UBC website and create their application profile and then upload the supporting documents to the paperwork form filling side of things. Yeah, so they, we actually have a common app in the province of British Columbia now. You can access it through the web, uh, UBC website, and so you can fill out the common application. Uh, there'll be it'll tailor off into UBC with some of our specific questions, like the personal profile, and you submit that. And then shortly afterwards, we'll communicate with applicants by email, letting them know next steps, their UBC student number, and which documents and by when to submit those. Could you just briefly say what a common app is? Absolutely. So um, this, this certainly this exists in Canada in two places that I'm very familiar with, in British Columbia and Ontario. There's a common app in the UK as well. So that's a shared application in the context of British Columbia. All of the public institutions, public post-secondary institutions in our province, we share the front end of a common app where students um, can fill out once their name, address, um, high school information, any post-secondary information from other places that they might have. Uh, and so they only have to do that once. And then that information is shared across the various institutions that they would list on there that they're interested in having their application considered at. Mm -hmm.
Now, an important part of every university is, is the academic support offered to students. Um, because some students, of course, find themselves struggling from time to time with their academic programs, and also perhaps um, they need social emotional support. Can you describe what provisions you make at UBC for these students? Absolutely. So, I mean, in terms of support with academics, all professors have office hours and we really encourage the students to make use of those. I know that in the beginning that can be a little bit intimidating, uh, but it actually makes the professor so happy when the students come by and ask questions and are, are seeking help. So they, they really do enjoy it. Um, in the Okanagan, we have a service that's called the Student Learning Hub, which is tied to the library and it has all sorts of programs one of which is called supplemental learning. So what we do is we hire senior students um, and in the same program as more junior students, and they will go and go back into those first and second year classes, attend class, take notes, and then they will host their own supplemental learning sessions with students who choose to come to go over the course material that was learned, to work through some sample problems, ask questions. And we've seen you know, students with C grades who regularly attend supplemental learning sessions have their grades go up to Bs throughout the term in that coursework. So they're really quite effective. There's other tutoring options. We also have students who are trained learning strategists who can meet with other students and really strategize on, on what is the best way for this person to learn this material? How do they best take in information and knowledge and they can work with them to figure out what is the best way to study and when is the best time to study? Um, we do also know that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, academic uh, achievement can be tied to wellness too. And so students could be struggling with transition, workload, uh, other, other things could be happening for them. So we want to provide a foundation of care um, and really get a picture of what's going on for the students. So students, for example, when they meet with our academic advising team, this team is trained to you know, dig a little bit deeper and see if there's something perhaps you know in the shadows or a little bit uh, underneath what's going on, what the student is presenting, and so that they can work with the student to address what some of those challenges might be that then also leads to a better place of wellness. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention one very unique program we have in the Okanagan, which is our BARC program, which stands for Building Academic Retention Through Canines. And so this is a program that's designed to support the emotional well-being of students who are grappling with various challenges, homesickness, perhaps social isolation, where we have um, you know, dog owners, trained um, leaders, facilitators who bring in their dogs. And this happens several times a week across the campus. Students can go and you know, just be with the dogs. It's an opportunity for them to connect with other students who are there. The, the dog owners, the leaders are trained to sort of open them up a little bit, engage them in conversation. Uh, and this has so many positive benefits for the students across the campus. That's very interesting you should mention that because uh, when I came to UBC to visit, which was actually year 2017, um, I met your colleague uh, on the Vancouver campus who, who does this job. And he brought a dog along and he gave a presentation to us college counselors. A big mistake, really, because most of us would rather play with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure, I'm sure he's used to that. But the amazing thing was, uh, a few months later, I was giving a presentation to 130 high school juniors. And, of course, they were only half listening, as usual. But as soon as I mentioned this sort of pet scheme or dog scheme, 
suddenly I had all their attention. They were completely riveted. And all of the questions were around animals. Which universities have animals? So, I mean, it's a fabulous marketing tool for your university. And I always point out that UBC, if you want to cuddle a dog, then UBC is definitely the place to go. <laughs> but I think, I think all of us know that sort of stroking a dog or, or some other animal is, you know, all the stress just flows out. Mm -hmm. it's, a wonder, it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. yeah, it's a great program. So, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you actually uh, about the health services on the campus. We were talking about social emotional issues, but I mean, obviously people do have illnesses or accidents. Uh, do you have a health service on the campus for students? So we do. We have our health and wellness center, which has counseling services, but we also have doctors and nurses on staff and they do have, I guess what I would call clinical facilities. So there's, there's, you know, private spaces that one can go if there's a, a medical concern of some kind and they can have an exam, meet with a doctor or a nurse, they can be prescribed medication should that be a need that they have. Um, so that certainly is available to the students on campus as well. And it, it's, it's really important for the international students who come to Canada and they don't already have a doctor here or, you know, don't immediately know where to go to access those healthcare services. So we have them available for them right on the campus. Yeah, on a, on a related note, I assume that your international students have to take out extra health cover, health insurance. Um, so they, they, I wouldn't say it's extra. They, they need a little extra right at the beginning. So when international students first come to UBC, they are covered by a program that we call IMED, which provides them extended health care for the first three months that they are in BC. They also simultaneously, like any other student at UBC, will have extended benefits through the student union as part of their student fees, and everybody gets that. But the, those first three months of IMED are quite critical because that is the, the time that they are waiting to qualify for the provincial health care plan, which is the same plan that I have, the same plan that anybody in British Columbia has that allows us to access doctors, hospitals, and other facilities, and that costs $75 a month for international students. That's worth pointing out that Canada has an excellent health service. Uh, so if you are thinking about going to Canada, you don't have to have any concerns on that score. Um, sports. We, we did talk briefly about sports early on. Now, I know that some people uh, play sports at a very high level. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned, for example, the varsity teams. But what about those who just want to play for fun, you know, on the evening or perhaps on the weekend? Do you also cater for perhaps the... The, the less talented sports person. <laughs> well, I, I think they're, they're talented, but they maybe just don't want to be as competitive. Uh, but Possibly yes, that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> UBC um, has an extensive sort of intramural sports and recreation uh, program in place for students. Uh, on the campus where I am, the Okanagan, there's about 1,700 students a term who participate. And that could be in some of the sports that are sort of mirrored at our varsity teams, just not at that varsity level, be it volleyball, basketball, soccer, or football, I suppose, depending on where you're from in the world, uh, rugby. But they also do ultimate frisbee, flag football. Uh, we have a 
a sort of athletic coordinator on campus, but it's along the lines of what you were mentioning, where it's just for people who want to be active and engaged and have some fun and meet people. And they coordinate all sorts of activities for the students too. Some of them, you know, yoga a little bit more slow and, and perhaps passive a bit. And I know that they're also working with about 20 partners in the community to offer, you know, rock climbing, um, indoor climbing, I think the latest newsletter I saw had springboard, diving springboard lessons and um, aerial acrobatics too. So there's, there's a big range of um, different opportunities and, and activities for students to engage in. Sounds like something for everyone. Um, I know that you are located on the edge of the most beautiful lake. Um, do you have a sailing club there? Because uh, I'm asking because I just happen to like sailing. There definitely is a sailing club in the Okanagan. Well, in Kelowna, there's a few located in the Okanagan because we have so many lakes nearby. Uh, and there's rowing, paddling, um, stand-up paddleboarding, all sorts of online lake activities. Uh, and some more formalized like a sailing club and some just go down with some friends and have some fun. Mm -hmm. So uh, what sort of things do students do in the evenings on the weekends or partying, fun, getting together, activities like that? Um, there's lots of activities uh, that students do. Some, of course, they organize on their own, go out of town, go out for dinner, go hang out. Um, there's a lot of activities that we organize too for students. There's student clubs at the university, uh, so they'll engage in some um activities as well at the Okanagan. I think there's over 100 student clubs that students can can be a part of. There's a pretty vibrant arts and culture scene in Kelowna. There's a fringe festival, Rotary Arts Club, the theater productions for students who are interested in that. There's one really neat um, sort of flagship event that we do every year on our campus and it's called the Life Raft Debate. And it's a way to bring in students and faculty members together in sort of a non-academic fun evening setting. And so the premise is there's there's a, a problem, there's a situation, it's always nonsensical, uh, like a zombie apocalypse. And there's, there's faculty members across different disciplines. And so there's three debaters and a devil's advocate, and it's all student run. And so in the zombie apocalypse, a faculty member, each faculty member would have to say why their um, area of expertise is what's needed to help get everybody through the apocalypse and therefore why they should be allowed on the life raft and leave the other faculty members to perish behind. Uh, so it's a great evening. <laughs> it's student run and it just it brings a different community and engagement with faculty than through the classroom and through academics. Sounds like lots of fun. Uh, however, before students can have all this fun, they actually have to get to UBC. Um, you mentioned earlier that you have some sort of orientation program, because I think a lot of high school students are a little bit worried about how is it going to be those first few days? How am I going to settle in? How will I find my way around? How will I make friends? These are all the sort of concerns that run through people's minds before they actually reach the university. How do you address these? You, you have some special program laid on for the, the new students when they first arrive? We do, and it actually starts before they first arrive. So over the summer that they're, they're coming into UBC, um, we have an academic essentials program in Vancouver that helps provide some additional university prep, um, be it in English, math, or just, just university skills and navigating university in the first year. And in the Okanagan, we have what we call UBC 101, which is an online 
course-based program run by, by senior peer students that really is all about coming to the Okanagan campus, academic expectations, getting out and about once you're here. So that's the lead up in the summer. And then when students come to UBC on both campuses, uh, particularly for international students, we have our Jumpstart program, which is a multi-day orientation program where they get to meet faculty, other leaders at UBC, understand, begin to understand a bit more the, the academic expectations, but it's also where they learn to use the bus, set up their bank accounts, uh, get tours around campus so they can figure out where is the bookstore and how long does it take me to get from residence to my classroom at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. <laughs> um, and so lots of programming and supports that take there. And we do um, offer airport pickup as well at, at peak arrival times. I mean, in, in Kelowna, it literally is right across the street, as you may recall, and so less than a five-minute drive away. Um, and so that's quite convenient, but we will have students go and meet new students and just provide that, provide that little extra bit when they first arrive after a very long plane ride. Now we come on to the other really important part of university life, apart from the academics, um, accommodation. Students actually have to go and live at university. Can you talk a little bit about the accommodation provision at UBC? Absolutely. So for all new students, um, regardless of campus, we have a first year housing guarantee. So as long as students apply for housing, of course, and then accept their offer of housing by the deadline to which it's extended to them, then they are guaranteed a place in housing in their first year. Most first year housing is in single independent rooms that are in dorms, which then, of course, requires students to be on a meal plan on their respective campuses. Uh, and the dorm rooms will come with a bed, a desk, closet. In the Okanagan, they have air conditioners uh, because of the heat in the summer and, and in the spring. And they also come with heat control, of course, too, for those cooler winters. Uh, all of the dorm rooms in the Okanagan are single dorm rooms. They're not shared. There's only a handful of shared dorm rooms in Vancouver. And generally, those are reserved for students who specifically request to be with another person. Uh, in Vancouver, we have about 8,000 or so beds on campus, and in the Okanagan, we have just over 2,000 beds, and so can accommodate about 18% of the student population there. Now we come on to uh, what is, of course, uh, a make-or-break subject for, for some students thinking of going to UBC, um, tuition fees. Um, I assume you have different levels of tuition fees for Canadian citizens and for non-Canadians. We do. So as is common, I think, at many universities, um, Canadians or permanent residents of Canada, uh, they pay about just around $6,000 Canadian for 30 credits. So that's a full academic uh, course load between September and April, whereas our international students over that same time frame, the cost of tuition would amount to about $45,000. Student fees are the same for students, which include their access to the student union, the bus, the medical insurance we spoke of, and books and supplies are you know, sort of the same cross, uh, cost for all the students too average around $2,000 a year. And housing, which I didn't mention uh, previously in dorms for the first year, is about $12,000, which is inclusive of that meal plan. 
I noticed on your website you have a tuition fee calculator, which I thought was enormously useful because a lot of universities don't have this. And it can sometimes be a little confusing for students to try and figure out what, what the total cost is going to be, depending on how many uh, units or credits they're taking. So uh, thank you, UBC, for providing that. Uh, it was most helpful. Um, financial aid, I mean, a lot of students are probably familiar with the system in the United States where there's a lot of financial aid and scholarships available. Um, how is that dealt with at UBC? Do, do you have something similar? Um, so we don't call it financial aid. So at UBC for our international students, we have the International Student Financial Assistance and Awards Program. And UBC allocates just over $36 million to international students every year, which to our knowledge is the largest pool of dedicated funds to international students in all of Canada. And we fund multiple opportunities for students through this. Of course, we have our entrance awards. There are six different entrance awards for international students. Some of them are merit-based and some of them are hybrid awards that have a merit, but also a need component for students who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford coming to UBC. And those require a separate application of those six entrance awards, five are multi-year awards. So the students, uh, assuming that they continue strong academics at the university while they're with us, will get that award each year for the four years that they're with us. And we also fund um, awards for students once they're UBC students. So we have faculty awards on both campuses based on their academic achievement and their faculties. We have community, essentially community service awards for students who've been engaged in community, be it on campus or out in the community beyond UBC. And we fund uh, experiential learning opportunities for international students. So there's, a, there's an on-campus wage subsidy program for um, campus employers to employ students. We provide funding for that for international students. We fund uh, undergraduate research awards for international students and a few other experiential learning opportunities so that they're getting, they have this equal access to all the opportunities as any other UBC student to sort of round out and fulfill, the, fulfill their degree while they're with us. Something which concerns international students who are looking at the sort of the overall cost of a university um, is whether they can work to sort of offset the costs of their tuition fees and housing costs. Um, how is that handled in Canada? Can international students there on a, on a student visa actually work? Yes, they are allowed to work. So uh, during the school year, while they're going to classes and whatnot, their study permit allows them to work uh, up to 20 hours a week. And then during any study break, so in December, for example, a reading break or in the summer, if they choose to remain in Canada, they're allowed to work full time as well. And it's all part of their study permit. They don't need a separate work permit for that. They do for cooperative education or for some of their practicums, but they can also apply for those in Canada once they're here with us. Okay, thank you. We'll take a quick break and go straight into the visas or study permits as it's called. Um, five, four, three, two, one. Now, non-Canadians, of course, are going to need a visa or a study permit, as it's called in Canada. Um, how do you actually go about getting one? Uh, and when do you have to apply for a study permit? Um, so great questions. We do have a very comprehensive step-by-step -step guide on our website that will help our applicants through this process. But it's quite critical. So as soon as a student is admitted to UBC, they'll get an offer of admission 
from us, and that is their signal to go and apply for a study permit. Um, so they'll visit you know, online the, the visa processing center closest to them, fill in that online application, uh, provide with that the letter of offer of admission to UBC. They need to provide information about their own personal finances uh, as part of that submission, and then they put that in. But we really recommend as soon as you have your offer of admission to UBC to go ahead uh, and begin that process. After they've submitted their study permit application, uh, they will receive information from their respective visa, visa processing office that they applied through that will tell them about any additional requirements like getting their biometrics. They'll have a special letter issued to them about getting their biometrics and a deadline for when to do that. Some applicants may require a medical exam and some won't, um, but that will be communicated to them by the visa processing office as well. And again, we recommend as soon as you receive this information to then act upon those next steps. It sounds like you give students the same advice as I always do, you know, get started early <laughs> because it could sometimes take a little longer than you hope. Um, so when students are researching different universities around the world, it's clearly there is some difference in, in content. Perhaps if you can sort of summarize, what do you think are the, are the main strengths of UBC, which would attract international students or Canadian students for that matter? So um, I think the research focus uh, at UBC in particular is a strong attractance because we have a lot of students who don't want to just earn their degree, but they really want to be engaged within it and research enables that. Uh, certainly in our smaller campus setting, because we have fewer grad students in the Okanagan, there's a culture of undergraduate students doing research. We also have very strong uh, industry connections where we're located. There's a huge manufacturing industry here in the Okanagan with over 600 companies. 18% of the province's aerospace industry is located here. Uh, we have quite a, tech sector, quite a tech sector as well with, I think, over 650 companies engaged in gaming, animation, film production. And so all of these connections that we have with our community just in turn means all sorts of opportunities for the students. Um, that we have. And again, the professors are, get so excited and are so accessible. We have one student, uh, Durbin, who's graduating this year, but when he first arrived four years ago from Mozambique and I met with him in the first week that he was here, he'd only been here for a handful of days and he already had had a conversation with a professor. He had an undergraduate research position lined up already, uh, just through a conversation. And he's had you know mentorship his entire time that he's been here with us because he took the initiative. But again, I think it also speaks to the people we have at the university and at the campus and their willingness to help support students and how accessible they are. I mean, I, I was amazed when, when I came to Kelowna, it's like a little sort of mini Silicon Valley. There's so many sort of high-tech uh, companies there in, in what is you know, a relatively small city. And, and this clearly offers great opportunities for the students. Um, but sort of looking beyond university a bit, because uh, I get asked a question like, you know, what sort of jobs do mm -hmm. students move into? What, what sort of typical careers do they go into? And what sort of alumni network do you have? Um, I, I guess the answer is probably your students go into a lot of different careers. And they do. And I mean, UBC, of course, was first established back in 1915. So the alumni network 
I think there's over 300,000 alumni globally um, for UBC. So, I mean, our students, as you said, do go honestly everywhere, some into local business, some go abroad. Uh, we've had students go work with the Prime Minister of Canada. One of our nursing alum is actually working on movie sets as a healthcare provider there. So there's sort of a lot of different things that you might not sort of naturally think of either. Um, we do spend a lot of time focusing on career development right from the ground up first year, helping them figure out, helping students figure out, you know, the skills that they want to get, helping them get connected throughout their degree and discover the opportunities that are available to them. And so that's why our academic career, our academic advisors are also career advisors. And we've just blended that together because it just lends itself so well to that, helping those students with the full experience. I'm convinced I want to come to UBC, but who should I contact if I have some questions uh, that have not been addressed here in this uh, podcast episode? Well, everybody watching certainly has my name and they're more than welcome to reach out to me and I will support and assist them or get them on to the right people who can do that. And uh, many students, and I know high school counselors around the world already have an established regional representative from our team that they work with and is sort of a go-to for them. And so they're more than welcome to, of course, continue liaising and working with that individual as well. And is there anything else that you would like to add about your university before we sort of uh, wind up this uh, episode, this interview? I just think it's, it's good to acknowledge that this is a big decision for students uh, and for their families. And there's Universities don't make it easy with so many processes that we sort of are unique and of our own. I'm sure you can appreciate that through all of your experience as a counselor. It's exciting. It's confusing, but it's, yes. it's exhausting too. And it's a big, it's a big, big decision. It's the next four years or more of their lives. So we want to be an enabler for students and support them in their aspirations. We want to respect them as individuals and to be trusted, you know, and I think we are trusted to provide a solid stable and supportive community for them to build from. And so we're really proud of, of that. And I'm, I'm really happy to be able to say that on behalf of UBC. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share the Find Your Best Future podcast. <laughs>